Time for the April 22nd, 2022 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on Earth Day from the University of California at Irvine in the backyard of KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, Orange County's most respected beauty and life coach, Mahler, the fake news dog. Woo! Good boy, Mahler. Good boy. Today, we'll be talking about catalytic converters, sinkholes in Alaska, guns, ganja, and more. Okay. But first, you think you'd ever buy an NFT? No. <laughs> You're pretty sure about that. I am that. sure about crypto and uh, NFTs. I'm yeah. sure about those. The old non-fungible token. Non-fungible, yeah. my... Fungible, of course, means replaceable. Fungible means you're a sucker. Yeah, so you and I are fungible. Yeah, we are. Yeah. We are, absolutely. Yeah. And NFTs are unique. Yes. And they're cryptographic tokens. Wow. Yeah, that exist on a blockchain that yeah. can't be replicated. I get that. I guess. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's up for grabs right, right. there, but... Quantum computing yeah. will do away with all of these things. Yeah. Whee! <laughs> Goodbye. From Coindesk. Yes. An NFT of Twitter founder Jack Dorsey's first ever tweet could sell for just under $280. That's all. Oh. $280. Wow, I thought... The current owner of the NFT, <laughs> the non-fungible token, listed it this first ever tweet, for $48 million last week. Crypto entrepreneur Sina Estevi purchased the NFT for $2.9 million. $2.9 million. He auctioned it up. He, he put it on in the auction for $48 million. Yeah. Bought it for $2.9 million in March of 2021. Yeah. Last week, Estevi announced on Twitter that he wished to sell the NFT and pledged 50% of the proceeds which he thought would exceed $25 million. You know, in other words, yeah, he, he yeah, thought yeah. it'd at least be that much. Yeah. To charity. That was a good... Yeah, you know, at the same time, though, charities are kind of disappointed well, now, aren't they? Well, and the other thing is, all these billionaires are setting up these foundations, Yeah, which is another tax dodge. Well, and to make them feel good about and their well, lives after they've screwed everybody yeah, else to yeah. get where they are. Oh, and the world thinks they're wonderful. But I I'm not saying that every foundation is a ripoff or some kind of vanity project. But a lot of these really, really rich people essentially use it as a way to just uh, shelter their, their money. Yeah. yeah. The auction closed this Wednesday with, with just seven total offers. <laughs> Only seven people wanted this. But I guess it's kind of a high price thing. Ranging from 0.09 ETH, that's Ether from uh, Ethereum, that's a crypt cryptocurrency, kind of the second best crypto cryptocurrency if you want that kind of stuff. Okay. Bitcoin, yeah. Then this Ethereum stuff, this ETH, 0.09. That's that's all they offered him. I guess that adds up to the uh, 280 dollars. Okay. Uh, well, I take that back. That's uh, actually $277 at current okay. prices. Okay, okay. N no, wait, that's that's $2 <laughs> at current prices. Oh, no. wait, wait, 14, 14, it's up to 14. Nope, nope, nope. But, Down to five cents? 
Wait, hold on. Let me let me check. Let me check my phone. Let me check my phone because I have a special. It's going up. It's going up. It's going up. It's one point five million now. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Sell, sell, sell. Are you a good fly swatter? Never been a good fly swatter. If with my hand, are we talking, or with a fly swatter? Uh, never been very good either way. Oh, Better with a fly swatter. Remember those things? Oh, what? Newspapers? Oh, newspapers, yeah. yeah. Well, well, you kind of roll it up. And, and then it would always end up splattering on whatever you were reading. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of gave an impact uh, to yeah. you know, the, yeah. uh, the story. <laughs> were you ever a proficient swatter of flies? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I recall. Because I'd sneak up from behind them. <laughs> Yeah, first of all, because they have these compound eyes. Yeah, because they can kind of see all, yeah. Well, like yeah, well a, they have compound they have eyes. eyes. They got, yeah, you know, you remember Vincent Price? Yeah. Yeah? Jeff Goldblum? Jeff, yes. Yeah. yeah. They had compound eyes. They had compound yeah. eyes, so it's got to be true. Yeah. It's hard to make contact with the fly, though, because of these eyes. Yeah. Yeah. They're really good. Yeah. So. Speaking of flies. Yes. Have you ever been buzzed by a drone? No. You're walking down the street yeah. and you hear this. Well, I've heard them. I, in fact, on the beach of all places. Yeah? Yeah. Some guy, this is a couple, three, four years ago when they were first starting to become more of a thing for people. Yeah. For normal people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they were buzzing the beach for, God, it had to be about an hour. And there were people just furious, jumping up and down, screaming. And at no one in particular, it's just a very annoying sound. Yeah. Go ahead. <sighs> From Scientific American. Mm hmm. To stop drones from being annoying there you go. as flies, mm -hmm. researchers are developing a detection system inspired by the fly. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. And this can have applications and implications oh. far beyond drone detection. Mm -hmm. Current systems rely on visual, auditory, and infrared sensors. But these technologies often struggle in conditions that have low visibility. This is drone detection, mm -hmm. low visibility, loud noise, or interfering signals. Solving the problem requires what computer programmers call salience detection, which means distinguishing signal from noise. Mm. The new study demonstrated an algorithm that was designed by reverse engineering the visual system of the hoverfly. That's a family of black and yellow striped insects known for their habit of hovering. Around flowers. Nice. Yeah, Muller like plays <laughs> with them sometimes. <laughs> yeah, a little. Like him, <laughs> <laughs> you like this guy, go, huh? go get me a hoverfly. Go get, get it. Go get on. Get go on. There he goes. There he goes. Well, I don't know. He's an idiot. Don't say that about my dog. Please don't say that about my dog. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. These hoverflies have incredibly keen vision, and most flies do, mm -hmm. the result of their compound eyes, which take in a lot of information simultaneously and from the neurons that process that information, which turn out to be extremely good at separating relevant signals from meaningless noise. The researchers spent more than a decade carefully studying the neuronal, that's neuronal, neuronal. Okay. Yeah. Pathways. Neuronal pathways That's... of the fly's eyes wow. and measuring their electrical responses to light. Jeez. Then they use that information to construct an algorithm that can sense and heighten the important parts of the data. The researchers want to use their fly-inspired algorithm on a variety of applications where artificial intelligence 
must process information from the real world while dealing with complicated and messy conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a, uh, a drone at an airport. Yeah. You need a fly-eye type of algorithm. Yeah. That looks everywhere and cuts down the, the noise. Yeah. And you can say, oh, or you know when it would be helpful? When, say, the nationals are, are flying in a parachutist to uh, <laughs> drop down on opening day there or yeah. whenever it was. Yeah. And instead of calling in the Capitol Guard and evacuating the Capitol building, they could have said, uh, yeah. that's just a private plane. We know what that private plane is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Did that happen? That must have happened, right? Yeah, a couple of days ago. Okay. I didn't see And that. I can't blame uh, what happened there. I mean... Secret Service, that's their job. Well, it's the around. FAA. Yeah. Didn't... Uh, we don't know exactly what happened. They send in memos to what would be National Stadium, whatever that is yeah. there in Washington, D.C., yeah. to say, oh, we're going to... Uh, I got that wrong. National Stadium would be informing the FAA we got a private plane coming in that's going to be carrying parachutists. Yeah. But apparently somewhere that memo never got to the Capitol Police. Gotcha. Or if the Capitol Police got it, they didn't read it. They see this private plane yeah. and evacuate the Capitol building. Talk about a rough year and a half for the Capitol Police. Yeah, and you can't blame them. No. Yeah, I, these guys must be waking up in the middle of the night at yeah. this point, just yeah. screaming. Into the abyss. Yeah. 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 If this may, news makes you want compound eyes, may I recommend a donation to KUCI? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9. F.M. From the voice of O.C. Good, sure, yeah, good, uh, good, little blog. good journalism there. Yeah, so, yeah they, they, right. they really, yeah. That's Orange County, yeah. for those <laughs> of you who aren't in the yeah. O.C. Yes. Catalyt but this might be happening elsewhere, especially in California, because catalytic converters. Yeah. They're a critical automotive part to reduce emissions, and they're being increasingly stolen across California and the country, stripped and sold for precious metals. They're made out of precious metals, a lot of the interior of the catalytic converter. The increasing thefts are leading officials across Orange County in cities like Irvine and Lake Forest to pass ordinances in an effort to provide a tool to police officers to try and crack down on those thefts, where they say state law falls short. Okay. Yeah. And what they're saying, what they're saying, because I, I had the experience yeah. of having a catalytic converter yeah. taken off my car. Wow. They're saying uh, that it's because you can't add up the offenses. Oh, they're not cumulative in terms of you catch yeah, somebody. Yeah, so they catch somebody. Serial. Yeah, one guy and... You know, just, and uh, how they catch it, too, because there's no real law that says you can't have a catalytic converter. Some guy walking down the street holding a catalytic converter, right. and often the, nobody marks the bottom of the catalytic converter and says, puts their name and address on right, it. Right, right. You know, it's not like a dog or anything like that. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, Mom, yeah. Anyway. If somebody stole you, yeah. Honey, yeah, well, we'd be right on it. Well, we would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we'd get them back, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody else would want him. <laughs> well, sorry, Mom. Yeah. 
He's, he's sulking now. <laughs> Huntington Beach is one of the most recent cities in the county where officials have moved forward with an ordinance prohibiting the unlawful possession of catalytic converters. In 2019, there were 49 catalytic converter thefts reported in uh, Huntington Beach. That's 2019-49. In 2021, that was 461. Wow. Uh, on my block in Irvine, I know of three thefts. That's wow. in my little block there, wow. including mine. The ordinance in Huntington Beach would make it illegal for anyone except a core recycler to possess any catalytic converter not attached to a vehicle without valid proof of ownership. Unlawful possession of a catalytic converter could result in a misdemeanor punishable by a fine of up to $1,000 or six months in jail or both. or both. A catalytic converter changes the harmful emissions like gases and pollutants from a car's exhaust into less toxic pollutants. Replacing a catalytic converter can cost about $2,000. Oh. No, that's just a start, though. You can go out and buy them uh, off-market oh. for about $300, but you still have to get it put on, and then you have to pass a smog test. Right. So if you get a bogus one, right. a cheaper one, you might not pass the, the smog test. And with damage to the car, because they do this in like 30 seconds. Right, so I'm sure they're just ripping things out of there. Yeah, right. they're ripping things out of the bottom of your car. Right. That's where it is, for the most part. Newer cars have put it closer to the engine, so it's not as... Uh, it's more difficult to get to. But on an older car like I had, an old uh, Element, Honda Element, it was easy to get under there. 30 seconds, it's gone. And at the same time, they damage uh, what's called an O2 sensor that measures what's going on right. uh, in the catalytic converter. There's two of those. And then there's the tailpipe replacement and right. all the other things. Right. So it can be $4,000, which was what mine was. Now, I'm... I don't want to put you on the spot, but yeah. is, is this covered by insurance? If you have comprehensive coverage. Okay. So more, one of those... More about catalytic converters yeah. than anyone would like to hear yeah. until their car's yeah. catalytic converter is gone. It's one of those policies where, nah, I don't need that. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, that's... Why? Yeah. Catalytic converters contain three metals that aid in the chemical reaction that makes exhaust pollutants less harmful. Platinum, uh, palladium, and rhodium... The prices of these metals have risen dramatically during the 21st century, with rhodium the most expensive precious metal on the planet. Oh, my God. That makes stealing a catalytic converter, converter easy money for criminals who can get anywhere from $200 to $1,200 per convertible, converter at a uh, metal scrapyard. Because they're not, you know, they're, they don't know. They got a catalytic converter there. Now, they, they probably suspect at this point in time what's going on. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Gee, Joe, that's the 18th catalytic converter you've had bringing in this week here. What's uh, what's up? The uh, you know, and I'm this is a terrible argument. I'm going to say right up front. I know this is a really bad rationale. It is, but is this another reason to go with an electric car? <laughs> I know, I know, it's a terrible thing to say, but we wouldn't. I suppose so. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. a, I mean, that's a terrible rationale, but uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, you could say that. Yeah. From Grist. You get a lot out of Grist these yeah, days. Yeah, Grist has been the go-to site of late, hasn't it? For uh, environmental. Yeah. And on Earth Day, too. Yeah. From Grist, as permafrost thaws 
And you know why they call it permafrost? Because it's permanent. Supposedly. Well, they thought so. so supposedly, yeah. yeah. They thought that if anything was going to happen to it, it would take like 10,000 years. Yeah. Not, you know, a decade. We're number one. We're number one. As permafrost thaws, the ground beneath Alaska is collapsing. Yes. Temperatures in Fairbanks have shifted so much that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration officially changed the city's subarctic designation. There's subarctic there, or there have been in the past. Don't in say 2021, it. downgrading it to warm summer continental. Wow. That's Fairbanks. As the, clim- as the climate warms, the ancient ice that used to cover the an estimated 85% of Alaska is thawing as it streams away. There are places where the ground is now collapsing. That's yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Sometimes only a thin layer of soil covers yawning craters where the ice has vanished. Its absence has already fundamentally changed how and where people can live. Permafrost melt is creating sinkholes and undermining the structural integrity of homes, wells, septic tanks, and roads. Now, I don't know this to be true, but I'm going to say that there have been a lot of earthquakes over the history of that part of the world. Yeah. Many, many earthquakes. I thought the strongest earthquake I can remember That's was right. close to nine, or I think it was over nine. Yeah, it was the largest yeah. registered in North America. Yeah. And it's, it was, you're right, I think it was right around nine. Yeah. Happened about 1962. 1963, somewhere right yeah. there, around there, that literally I happen to have gone to Fairbanks, not Fairbanks, yeah, Fairbanks, one time, and there are places where there's it's a still, six foot yeah. or seven, more than that, six foot, just drop in from one spot to another yeah. in the city. Maybe it was Nome, Alaska, but anyway, yeah, it was uh, quite a dramatic. And I would imagine that over the, fro- the defrosting of Alaska, there are many, many more... Uh, geological situations that are similar. Well, yeah. And in permafrost, I think it just, what what they're saying is there's room for, or what you're saying is there's room for a collapse of the, of the uh, top soil, the top, what we build on. Yeah. Yeah. The University of Alaska Fairbanks, home to much of the state's permafrost research, has itself struggled with recurring sinkholes on its roads and parking lots. In some parts of Alaska, ice extends nearly a half mile below the surface. Wow. Recent studies have found that emissions of carbon and methane released by thawing permafrost have been drastically underestimated. There are 1.6 million trillion, sorry, there are 1.6 trillion metric tons of carbon currently stored in permafrost, twice what's now in the atmosphere. New projections suggest that the amount of greenhouse gas emissions from permafrost could equal those emitted from the rest of the United States by the end of the century. Just to put a historic and scientific cap on that story, yeah. March 27th, not terribly, we're, we're just surpassing the uh, anniversary of March 27th, a magnitude 9.2 earthquake yeah. was experienced. Well. That's great about the uh, earthquakes, but as far as the permafrost goes... Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And the amount of carbon that could be uh, yeah. released That's after the problem. it melts down. And spores and sort of all kinds of viral challenges yeah. may be being released as well. From mining.com. Mining.com. 
Mining.com. If you ever want to mine, yeah, you go to mining.com it seems to find like out what's the, going on there. That's the place. That's the go-to place for that. For the first time ever, wind generation topped coal and nuclear power in power generation for oh, a day. Okay. Oh, for a day. Okay. Yeah. Wind was the second largest power source in the country on March 29th. The U.S. Energy Information Administration reported marking the first time wind output has ever simultaneously exceeded coal and nuclear over a 24-hour period. Natural gas remained the top source of power uh, generation, making uh, 31% of the power. So that's natural gas. We don't want that to happen, but at least wind is moving up. The wind power milestone comes after two strong years of new wind installations. The, uh, the 13.9 gigawatts of wind capacity built in 2021 came on the heels of a record 14.2 gigawatt installed in 2020. So that's wind capacity. All that capacity is now turning into electricity. Wind generation has grown from about 2% of the annual American power generation to more than 9% last year. And But you know that kills a lot of birds. That's, it's killing them everywhere. And it causes cancer. And bald eagles. And it, bald eagles are dropping out of the, the sky because they're being killed by wind power. Those big, right. what are they called? Fans? Windmills. Wind, windmills, yes. Something like that. Windmills. By the way, they are. And they're bad for golf courses. They're really bad for golf courses in England. I know that. Scotland. For, Scotland. Yeah. Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Really bad. And they cause cancer. They cause cancer. Yeah, I mean, come on. Because they you go, vroom, 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 vroom. Uh -oh. I, I've got a, I've got a lesion on my arm just from doing that. Look at that. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, they are developing th these big windmill, uh -huh. the what do they call turbines. it? Turbines. Turbines. Yeah. That are actually much more friendly to uh, to the birds. Yeah. They just slap them across the face. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just a warning shot. Yeah. They don't really hit them. Yeah. They say. Good. I'm glad they yeah, they've, that. they've figured out a way. And of course, Mike and I are in favor of wind power. Me too. We were just being facetious <laughs> yes, there. Yes. We were imitating a past president yes, of this country. Yeah. Humpty Dumpty, I yeah. believe his name was. The surge in wind output on March 29th was driven by the Great Plains states. The Southwest Power Pool, Southwest Power Pool, the regional grid operator for 14 states stretching from Oklahoma to North Dakota, reported that renewable generation accounted for 90% of its electrical production in March on March 29th, nice. with nearly all of that coming from wind. Excellent. Yeah, that's really good news. Really good news. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit, visit us on the web at KUCI.org on Facebook at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Yeah. Hmm. From the analyst. From the analyst. The analyst. Why do I feel like Ed McMahon all of a sudden? A Russian lawmaker described Moscow's internationally condemned invasion of a Ukraine as a holy war, contending that it was a struggle between good and evil. State Duma Deputy Vyacheslav 
Nikonov. Okay. Vyacheslav Nikonov support said. Uh-huh. This is what he said. Yeah. I don't know what support came in there for. There's a word. <laughs> it's stuck in there. It said support. Oh. Yeah. State Duma Deputy Vyacheslav Nikonov said that in the modern world, we are the embodiment of the forces of good. Hmm. Huh. This is a metaphysical clash between the forces of good and evil. Metaphysical, no less. Yeah. This is truly a holy war we are waging, and we must win. Leave it to those guys. Very well, dramatic. You know, that's Very what's villain. so dangerous about the Trump administration, because we have people in the Trump had people in the Trump administration that believed this exact same I thing. Would, yeah, let's not forget the George the Second administration yeah. as well. All those people were talking crusade, the, the the struggle, the fight for civilization. You know, all that kind of nonsense. Well, and the fight between good and evil, yeah, good and, and it's a holy war. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a holy war. Exactly. The bloc of imperialist states will not be complete until it coincides with the Hitler coalition. Yeah. We're talking about a Fourth Reich. Right. And what kind of Fourth Reich would it be without Finland? Now he's getting personal. Ooh. How do you have a Fourth Reich without Norway? Now he's pulling them down. Yeah. How do you have a Fourth Reich without Japan? He's reaching a long ways there. It's all forming back up. Well, he's going for U.S. allies. Yeah. And he's... Well, he's kind of going for German allies, although... Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that's... I, okay. Yeah. Uh. Putin and other Russian leaders have claimed that Russia attacked Ukraine in an effort to denazify the country oh. and remove its neo-Nazi leaders from power. That's complete horse yeah. stuff. In reality... Ukraine's president, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, is Jewish and had family members who were killed in the Holocaust genocide by the German Nazis in World War II. So what's up with this anyway? You know, how is it a ha- you know, how is this invasion getting rid of Nazis? Uh, when Zelensky won the presidential election in 2019 with nearly three quarters of the vote, Ukraine's prime minister was also Jewish. So they have a history. This yeah. whole thing... I bring it up only because, as we've been saying for ages now, Putin's strategy and what becomes Trump's strategy and Steve Bannon's strategy is nothing is true, everything is possible, and flood the zone with shit. Exactly. Excuse me, but I had to say that because people say that these days, don't they? They do. Yeah. I'm I'm just going to, yeah. There was, yeah. Yeah, it's just, there's so so much like that in our own news. And by the way, and again, I'm going to say this with all due respect, that what's happening in Ukraine is is catastrophic, humanitarian crisis. It's a war crime. But what happened in the Iraq war, the invasion of Iraq after well, in 2004? What happened in Fallujah? What happened after the first operation from the first George Bush presidency? How many U.S.-backed drone strikes blew up wedding parties and, well, and killed innocent people? Yeah, How but, many corpses were laying in the streets the, there? Right. The scale of the first invasion back in 1988 or 89 
the uh, the carnage that was was visited upon the people of Iraq destroyed their country, destroyed their infrastructure. Cancer rates went through the roof because there was a lot of munitions that were very cancer-causing used by the U.S. The same is true in 2004 when we invaded Iraq, decimated the, the that country, all kinds of civilian casualties, yeah. hundreds of thousands of civilian casualties. The difference here is there are a couple of very, in my opinion, very important distinctions. One is that Ukraine is essentially a European country. Yeah. And it has the infrastructure and it has the capability of transmitting what's happening into that country, in that country to the world in a much better and more effective way. And U.S. media is there to document what's happening as well. So we're seeing it in real time. We didn't see what You're happened. You're saying they have the infrastructure, the broadcasting infrastructure yes, to make things. To make things happen. Uh, yeah. And they're European. And I think that's an important distinction is because we seem to care. And for all the right reasons. But we care more about what's happening in, in Ukraine. For all the right reasons. They're in the getting... sense that, well, it is a war. It's a, a war of attrition. It's a war of and human rights. in Iraq? Well, no. I, I'm, saying, I'm saying this in a meta sense. The we of of Western Europe and yeah. Western America and America care more about what happens. So in, a life in Ukraine is worth more than yeah, a life in Iraq. Yeah, in terms of perception, in terms of the reality, the well, yeah, re- real politics. Yeah, no, it's not. Of course oh, yeah, not. I'm yeah. not making that argument. All I'm saying is that the perception and what we value and who we value is more important in what's happening in Ukraine than it would ever have been in any war in the Middle East, any mm-hmm. war. That's been waged. That's all. Okay. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know that. It, I mean, we uh, happen to be waging these wars in the Middle East. Yeah. Many of them, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I, I just don't know what where to follow with that. Uh, so I'm making an so, observation more than yeah. I am a judgment. That's yeah. all I'm saying is we care. We the the Americans and the Europeans care for geopolitical reasons for a lot of reasons. But we care more about the people that are being slaughtered in U- Ukraine than we did about the people who are being slaughtered in Yemen. Yeah. With the support of the United States, Saudi Arabia is slaughtering people in Yemen. We don't care. We, first of all, we don't see it. But second, we don't care. But we do care about what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. That's... that's... Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I just think that uh, that does lead to, have we been putting enough into it or should we not put anything well, I, into uh, it? Yeah. I th- well no <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. But I'll and you'll app you you will No, I'll answer it now if you want, but I, I think we've got, I I think you're I think the reasons for making sure that Russia does not take over Ukraine are valid and strategic and humanitarian. They happen to all line up in our interest and in the world's inter European interest. I get that. So Yes, I we do need to support what is the U- Ukrainians and what's happening. Okay, but it, there's no. Ju- I guess what I'm saying there's no justification for war. Yeah, it's a hard thing to parse out. It is. <laughs> it's I mean, a hard thing to say. Yeah, this one's justified. And that one's not. It would be nice if we didn't need to send anything over there at all, and they could just and Russia would just back off. Right. That's not going to happen. So we're. Arming Ukraine to the teeth, it sounds like now. Right. Maybe a little bit too late. Uh, And when, this is really, uh, 
a war of of uh, strategies right now right. as far as what will happen with uh, when Russia gets in. Right. Uh, and its threat to Europe. And that's, I think, what really frightens us more than anything. Yeah, I agree. Iraq, not so much. Right. And, and not because it, it any strategically less important, but even symbolically, Ukraine and Europe is far more symbolically important to the U.S. Yeah. than the Middle East. It's one of the most basic tenets of American foreign policy, American culture, is that Europe be preeminent in our in our worldview of our interests yeah. in the world and that, that is absolutely true the only the one thing about this and it lines up with what happens almost in every war mm -hmm. and that is it's based on a lie what is the war the war yeah that's based on a lie the war in iraq was based on a lie almost any war that you care to mention the the premise for going into slaughter thousands of people is based on a lie uh-huh I think that's the good news, the silver lining in all of this, knowing yeah. that the, we, the more we acknowledge yeah. that wars are based on lies, it, it gives me some hope in humanity that we're not just doing it because we feel like it's our need to do so. From Salon, Republicans ramped up their mission to spread ignorance in Florida by banning 50 math books. That was crazy. Yeah. When Florida Governor Ron DeSantos rolled out a pair of deliberately vague bills one aimed at censoring critical race theory and another at banning instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity, they were justified with uh, disingenuous claims that Republicans merely wanted to protect children from indoctrination and grooming. You know, grooming folks to be grooming. queer. <laughs> Mike and I do that all the time. Here at Casey, yeah, for the last 20 years, yeah. we've been grooming. I, before the anybody, show. <laughs> anybody who walks in here, you know, we're all the same. Well, before the show, we are grooming each other, too. Don't forget yeah. that part. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's, the, that's and, and, of course, our little puppy over there. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're grooming him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, goodness gracious. What's really behind these efforts linked the DeSantis plan to a larger religious right assault on the very concept of public education. <laughs> Now Florida has banned over two dozen math books. Literacy and math skills are viewed as a threat because they open the door to critical thinking. <laughs> you think that's funny? No, well, yeah, well it's, I mean, it is. I'm not grooming Mahler. That's what you're... <laughs> no, you know. no, it's, the whole thing is so absurd. It's I so know. patently and... We should just blatant. laugh at them. I, it's too bad you can't just laugh at them and they'll go away. Yeah. They just get angry when you laugh, yeah. you know? Yeah. While it doesn't, and, and there's a lot of them too. And then they call you a pedophile. That's yeah. that's the other part of this. Yeah. You, you laugh, you make fun of them. You're... You saw the state senator from Michigan. I forget her name right now. Yeah, but yeah Mallory. Know, she, uh, she gave yeah. a, a great uh, yeah. speech on the yeah. floor of yeah. the Michigan state senate and yeah. called them out. Yeah, because during a, a campaign literature was sent out claiming that she was supporting pedophilia, essentially. Yeah. 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 While well, it doesn't get much uh, mainstream press coverage, conservatives have long been nurturing anger over federal education guidelines, often called Common Core. These standards aim to give kids a real understanding of math and how it works instead of simply memorizing multiplication tables and quitting before they get to calculus. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the small town of Llano, Texas, the religious right has been bullying the local library to pull books deemed pornographic filth. Mostly because the books admit racism is real, 
that LGBTQ people exist, and that human beings are naked under their clothes. <laughs> uh, if that sounds like an exaggeration, it's not. One of the books targeted is In the Night Kitchen by Maurice Sendak. Oh, yeah. I used to read that to my daughter all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful little book. I prefer Where the Wild Things Are, but nevertheless, it's a children's book that has a drawing of a naked child that is only pornographic to sick people who think nudity equals sex. Yeah. In fact, you can go and see this, what has made the book uh, banned in public schools in t this town in Texas on our website right now at, at KUCI.org. Okay. Yeah, and go to the, the KUCI talk thing and, uh, you know, the link. And from there, yeah. you'll see pornography according to the Christian right. You got my, you got my attention. I know. Well, it's nothing. it's nothing. It's not even worth going to. But he's going. Yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah. They've been working through the head chair of the governing body of Llano County, a Republican named Ron Cunningham, who simply walked into the library there in Llano and pulled the books he didn't want other people to read off the shelf. The board needs to recognize that the country is not mandated by law to provide a public library, Cunningham wrote. In other words, he's fine if all the libraries just disappear. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a battleground for decades now, uh, yeah. the, the textbooks. The Texas, the state of Texas is infamous for what they have done to textbooks that are completely acceptable and lauded across the country. Yeah. Texas has been a graveyard for a actual education for many, many, many years. And some of it does go back to the civil rights era, the 50s yeah. and 60s. From the New York Times, speaking of books, yeah. after years on the decline, Barnes & Noble's bookstore, sales are up, its costs are down, and the same people who for decades saw the super chain as a super villain are celebrating its success. And I got to say, I am too. I'm sorry the one in uh, Woodbridge and here in Irvine went out of business just recently. But we still have uh, one up in the Irvine uh, Center up there above the 405, a Barnes & Noble there. Mm -hmm. There's still one, I think, at the Spectrum and still one over at uh, in Santa Ana. I believe Fashion Island as well. Maybe they do, yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. there's a bookstore. I believe it's a Barnes & Noble. In the past, Barnes & Noble with 600 outputs outposts across all 50 states was seen by many readers, writers, and book lovers as strong-arming publishers and gobbling up independent stores in its quest for market share. Today, virtually the entire publishing industry is rooting for Barnes & Noble, including most independent bookstores. Its unique role in the book ecosystem, where it helps readers discover new titles and publishers stay invested in physical stores, make it an essential anchor in a world upended by online sales and a much larger player, Amazon. It would be a disaster if they, want out of, if they went out of business, say, said Jane Distel, a literary agent with clients including Colleen Hoover, who has four books on this week's New York Times bestseller list. There's a real fear that without this book chain, the print business would be way off. Yeah. And I remember being very upset at Barnes & Noble when it came in. We used to have independent bookstores here in Irvine. You would have a shopping center with a bookstore in it. Right. And you could browse around and you would find things you didn't expect. Yeah. And you'd get to 
open the pages and read them. And almost they, they try and duplicate this type of stuff online at Amazon, but it's just not the same when you're stumbling around in a bookstore. Right. It's it's a sensory yeah. experience in addition to being something. And you have people they, there who are also looking, and you can exactly, meet people and exactly. talk about things and talk to the people who sell the books, who went and bought the book and put it on the shelf because they believed in it. Right. Yeah. It is one of the most enjoyable experiences is just to walk through a bookstore, an old bookstore with a whole bunch of just stuff scattered uh-huh. everywhere oftentimes, and a, and some guy sitting behind the counter who looks like he's been there for a while and yeah, and, and, and he's dedicated his life yeah to and so this together. and it's just yeah it's a great experience from NBC News Florida's lone statewide elected democrat agriculture commissioner Nikki Freed it's spelled fried <laughs> yeah i had to look that one up okay i was going to call her Nikki Fried yeah, anyway, what about Nikki, Nikki? Freed sued the Biden administration. She sued the Biden administration to try and block a federal rule that prohibits medical marijuana users from buying guns or maintaining concealed carry permits. Because? The law targets a federal form that asks whether the gun buyer is an unlawful user of drugs and specifies that marijuana is illegal under federal law, Schedule One, a person allowed by the state to use marijuana must then check yes, which results in denial of the purchase. Lying by checking no runs the risk of a five-year prison sentence for making a false statement. Freed, whose office oversees concealed weapons permits and regulates some aspects of medical marijuana, argues in her lawsuit that the form violates the Second Amendment rights of lawful medical medical marijuana patients and runs afoul of a congressional budget prohibition on federal agents interfering with state-sanctioned cannabis laws. Now, she has a good point. I was going to say, is this one of those backdoor ways to get... That also. She's, she's a Democrat, and, and, and she's in Florida. And if there are certain parts of the country where, you know, be, people want to have guns. Yeah. And I don't mean like cities. I mean, like, if you live out yeah. in the boondocks, as they say. Yeah, and it would take the police a long time to get to where you are, yeah. or you you might consider it. And yeah. what she's saying, if you do that, I think this is her, her main point. If you're, if you're in that situation and you happen to smoke marijuana, why can't you have a gun? Yeah. It's legal right. there right. in Florida. And yeah. yeah, and so are owning guns. It is, it is disturbing. That's exactly what she said. Med- mer- medical marijuana is legal. Guns are legal. This is all about people's rights. There you go. That's what she said. It is disturbing that, that marijuana is still a Schedule One. Yeah. Drug. Oh, yeah. Still, yeah. and we've we've said this for years. I'll feel I'll breathe easier when it's taken off Schedule One yeah. by the federal government. Once that's done, once that's over, yeah. research can begin. There's so many things that can happen in earnest that are good things. Yeah. Until then, from Cornell University Chronicle. The Cornell University Chronicle. Sounds fancy. Yeah. After analyzing all Medicaid prescriptions over an eight-year period, researchers discovered that recreational cannabis legislation can bring about significant reductions in prescriptions for the treatment of pain, depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, psychosis, and seizures. So smoke it. 
Thank you for that. You've given, I, that's a good reminder. Yeah. No, I'll tell you why. My dad doesn't sleep. And I have, I, I, I was going to give him this option of taking some edibles. Huh? Now you've renewed my, yeah. Has he tried CBD? For pain, for, but it's it, been it applied, like the yeah. salves and those kind yeah, of things. Yeah. He's nothing, he's never taken anything internally. Get him some little gumdrops. I'm going to. No, he, he's, he just doesn't sleep. Oh, that's I no mean, good. a regular pattern of sleep. Yeah. It's crazy. So, To date, 38 states in the District of Columbia have passed medical cannabis laws while recreational consumption is legal in 18 states and D.C. On average, recreational legalization was associated with 12.2% reduction in Medicaid prescriptions for anxiety drugs, while scripts for antidepressants Depressants and painkillers fell by 11.1% and 8% respectively. Yeah. That's a good amount. Seizure medication prescriptions were reduced by 9.5% with antipsychotic use down 10.7% and sleep medication use falling by 10.8%. A number of previous studies have previous studies have indicated that access to medical cannabis may be linked to lower rates of prescription opioid use. Uh, yeah. 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 It's it's nice to read all these things. Remember when uh, your life could be ruined yeah. if you were caught smoking marijuana? Yeah. And, people, and now this. People went to jail for... Their lives. For, for lives, yeah, yeah, for their lives. Yeah. From the Moscow Times... The American rights owner of Mainstay Fonts, Times, New Roman, and Ariel have restricted access to Russian users. That's the latest consequence for Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. They can't use these fonts anymore. That may be the most egregious, yeah. no, the most draconian. Uh-huh. Uh, um, so now they're going to have to use Comic Sans, I think. Okay. <laughs> Monotype Imaging Inc.'s font library began notifying Russian-based users this week that the state's owner may have set restrictions that prevent you from accessing the site. Yes, so. I meant to say draconian sanction. Thank, yes, yeah, absolutely. Draconian sanction? Yeah, it is pretty... By the way, I only use Times New Roman. Yeah? Well... I would be... I would do you be, use it a lot on your... On I your... use it for everything. Yeah? Yeah. It is my favorite font. It's a nice font. People don't like it because it's common, but I think it's a very legible font. And what are you using a font for anyway? <laughs> to read. Do you have a favorite or favorites? I have a lot. I, Times yeah. New Roman I use a lot when I'm uh, just, this uh, paper I'm reading off of has uh, Times New Roman. Okay. It's just a go-to. Yeah. When I'm writing stuffing stuff, I usually use Times New Roman because I'm comfortable looking at the page like that. Right. When I lay it out, Palatino, Bookman, you know, uh, yeah. There's a lot of others in there, too, that I've used. Over the years of working with you, you turned me on to the world of fonts, which I was blissfully world. unaware of mm-hmm. until, I, until I started working. You were working. blissfully unaware? Now, now there's, you're now, pained by I, fonts. I lie awake at night wondering, yeah. is there a font out there that would be better for me? Yeah. And I, I, it's a search. It's a, it's a, it's a journey. <laughs> and finally, from the Daily Record... Michael Sweet, who is a professor in molecular ecology at the University of Derby, recently suggested on Twitter that the Loch Ness Monster, Nessie, isn't a monster at all, but just a whale penis. (laughs) Sweet said, I guess a whale's just laying on his back, you know. (laughs) 
Sweet said that many sea monster stories reported by explorers were inspired by what he called tentacled and alienesque appendages, appendages emerging from the water. But while many of the observers may have believed the appendages breaking the ocean surface might be part of something more sinister lurking beneath, <laughs> Sweet said that it was just whale dicks. <laughs> You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.